I started the morning as like texted the guys said it's MGP day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey everybody, it's episode 293 of Bourbon Pursuit, the podcast featuring news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman, and before we start today's podcast talking about MGP brands, here's your weekly bourbon news update. Last week on February 11th, the bourbon world lost a close member. Brett Ferenc, or better known as Scotch Trooper on Instagram, passed away from his battle with pancreatic cancer. Brett was known for his detailed imagery by combining his love for Star Wars with whiskey, and he was one of the original social media influencers. Hosing many Star Wars characters with bottles of whiskey, it amassed hundreds of thousands of views over his time. He was beloved by many brands and others in the community as well. The Scotch Whiskey Association has revealed that exports of Scotch whiskey have decreased by 23% in 2020, representing a $1.5 billion drop in sales that is largely responsible for COVID-19 and the increase on U.S. tariffs. The United States 25% tariff on single malt Scotch whiskey led to exports falling by 32%, and that accounts for a third of the total global losses, where also airport and travel retail sales have dropped by a staggering 70%. Judges in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Michigan entered consent judgments against Vintners Collective LLC and Go Gifts Incorporated for illegal shipments of alcohol into the state of Michigan. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel has sued the companies under the 21st Amendment Enforcement Act and the Michigan Consumer Protection Act, saying that they evaded the three-tier liquor distribution system. And further violations of the Michigan Consumer Protection Act, the defendants have agreed to each pay $10,000 fines, which is kind of a backwards turn and where we've been going with shipping lately. Now moving on to bourbon release news. Whistlepig is launching the Sasquatch Select series. The first two releases take the core 12-year-old Whistle Pig Rye Whiskey, but they finish it in a Peruvian rum cask for the first release and a Shubli barrel for the second. Both of these are priced at around $150, and they're available in limited numbers directly from the distillery's online store. MGP has been a lot in the news recently because of their acquisition of Luxco. We talked about it on the last roundtable and how this will enable MGP's brand such as Remus to begin more nationwide presence with a bigger sales force. But what do we know about all their brands? Well, we're joined by Andy Mancini. He's the vice president of brands for MGP. And not only talk about their brands, but we also talk about the impact of what other brands get when they win awards based on the product that's sourced from them. We also talk about acquiring brands and their thoughts on the current contract distillation marketplace. And remember, if you like the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Not only do you support the podcast, but you get access to our private barrel club. And last week, we selected a total of five barrels, two from Old Elk, two from Taconic Distillery, and one from Yellowstone from Limestone Branch. We're moving towards our target of around 30 to 40 barrels this year, and our community is now over 900 people strong, and we'd love to have you join us. With that, enjoy today's episode, and here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Michael Carton, who writes me on fredminnick.com. Hey, I've got a possible idea for your Above the Char. How do you clean your Glencairn glasses? Ooh, Michael's bringing up a bit of a 
interesting conversation that I have had many times, many times over the years. Now, it's no secret that the Glen Cairn is my absolute favorite class. And I have used every glass from the neat glass to the Norlands to these uh, Rydells that they've tried to shove down my throat in years past. And none of them live up to the quality of the tasting experience for bourbon to me better than Glencairn. I think Glencairn is the absolute whiskey glass there is if, and this is a big if, if you prefer your whiskey neat. If you're someone dropping ice cubes in there, then, you know, you can check out the Glencairn Canadian glass. But, you know, to me, it's a, you know, there's 20 glasses with, you know, that uh, take rocks that are competitive. But to me, Glencairn is the clear-cut winner for for the neat sipping. Okay, so how do you clean it? All right, so there is the, there is the soak. So we will have a, uh, first we rinse them out. So obviously I do a lot of tastings blind. I do a lot of tastings, and I don't drink everything that's in the glass. So we will pour them out. We will pour them out, and then we, we will do the soak. We will let them soak for uh, a couple hours. And then we will drain that, and then we will add new soap, and then we will uh, soak and wash them, thoroughly rinse them, thoroughly rinse them. If you are not thoroughly rinsing them, you're going to get yourself in trouble. There will be a little bit of a soap note that will come in. So all whiskey glasses are subject to this, but they all kind of have like these concaves and everything that if you don't, you know, like a fast rinse may not get the job done. So you really have to make sure that water is saturating the glass and you rinse it really, really strongly and then you air dry it. So you don't towel dry it. If you towel dry it, you could get something left over from the towel in there. You can get a little piece of the cloth, uh, even if it's a uh, paper towel. You towel dry it if you're in a rush and you need the glass for a tasting. But if you have the time, you air dry it. So you have like a rack that you dry it on. The Glencairn actually recommends that you do not use your dishwasher. So the dishwasher will pound it over time. In fact, if you, um, you know, there are some industrial dishwashers that have bruised, have bruised the glassware and they kind of turn a shade of purple. Uh, so you really should be trying to, you know, do a hand wash with these if you want to maintain them. Um, also, if you are using a dishwasher at home and you're like me and you do not always rinse your plates off, listen. What's the point of a dishwasher if you got to rinse the damn plate off all the time? I'm not talking about like putting a whole piece of meatloaf in there, but I mean, come on, you can't get the cheese off there, dishwasher? That's one of my big beefs in the world. Why can't dishwashers take on a, a full, you know, a, a little bit of food on a plate? What is it always, what do you have to do the work for it? And anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. But if you're like me and you leave a little bit of a food, just a little bit on the plate, then um, it will always find a way on your Glencairn glass and you won't see it when you put the dishes up and then you go to taste and you're like, shit, is that a piece of my taco in my Glencairn? So little word to the wise, always rinse, rinse, rinse. Even if you don't use soap, rinsing is the winner. But hey, that's this week's Above the Char, or rather long Above the Char because I went off on my dishwasher tangent, but hey, that's what we do here on Bourbon Pursuit. We go off on tangents. But that's going to do it for this week. A big shout out to Michael Carton for the great idea. If you have an idea for Above the Char, make sure you hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. And let me know your idea. Just hit the contact button. Until next week, cheers. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? 
And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back to the episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Fred here today talking about MGP. Now, this is a three-letter acronym that uh, Midwest Grain Products that mm -hmm. maybe people don't know about. And that's, that's what it stands for. It used to be called LDI. It's had a long history. And in that history, it's always been known for one thing, and that's been supplying the goods of whiskey to pretty much anybody out there that's either started a company or getting ready to start or trying to transition from, you know, source market into their own distillate. So I'm kind of excited to kind of see exactly what our guest is going to be talking about of how they're going to be start building brands because traditionally it hasn't been their their forte or their, you know, what they've been known to do in in the whiskey world. That's right, Kenny. In fact, you're looking at you're looking at uh originally it was a Seagram's plan and when Seagram's uh went out of business in 2000, um they basically that company got divided up, you know, between Pernod Ricard and uh, what is now known as Diageo and a few other things got acquired here and there. And that plant was was purchased by uh, Pernod Ricard. And, uh, you know, the brands were actually, you know, like Crown Royal purchased by Diageo. And so Pernod Ricard was producing liquid that would be used into, into um, uh, basically, basically into blends. And um they put a they put a lot of effort into like the rtd market and places like australia 
And taxes started changing, and Pernod Ricard looked at it as like, you know what, this isn't making us a lot of money, so we're going to sell it to um, Angus Angostura's parent company, CL Financial, and that was LDI, and that was Lawrence Berg Distillers Indiana. Ridiculous name, by the way. And <laughs> it was, it's almost like there's no mystery there. Huh? Yeah, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I mean, who came up with, came up with that name? Uh, and uh, and then it was like the the global they Angostura kind of caught the CL Financial kind of got caught up in um in a real global uh, economic issue, and they end up selling to MGP Ingredients. Now, while LDI had it, it was kind of like this um, mystery to a lot of people. When MGP acquired it. Uh, they allowed me to come in and do a, a pretty extensive story. That was in 2013, and a lot has changed since then. So I'm excited to you know talk about that, talk about the old days, but also talk about what's new with MGP. For sure. And there is a good little history nugget there for anybody that needs to know more about MGP, because I'm sure that anybody, if you're listening to Bourbon Podcast, odds are you you understand these acronyms, or if you're just getting into it, you're going to have a better understanding of of what MGP is and the history and what they've been doing. And what they're actually now trying to do and start, you know, market their own brand. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of talk about it. So with that, let's go ahead and introduce our guest. So today we have Andy Mancini. He is the vice president of brands for MGP. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it. So this is, uh, this is something that we're always starting to try a little bit differently. So we're going to kind of start with a random icebreaker today. So just to kind of get to know you a little bit better. If you were to travel anywhere, knowing that there was a chance you'd have to stay there for up to a year, where would it be? Oh, that's easy. It would be Italy. Italy? Absolutely. Now, yeah. So the name already plays into it. Well, yeah. I mean, my my background, my my uh, actually my great-grandparents uh, immigrated actually twice uh, back and forth from Italy to America. And rumor has it that my grandfather was, if he wasn't born on the boat, it was just about right after they docked. No, I, I, you know, my, my career actually started in wine. And uh, when I was at Brown Foreman, I really had the, the honor of running all of our uh, imported and international wine brands. And I spent a good amount of time over the years in Italy. And, and in fact, um, you know, the irony, although a little sad, was uh, 9-11. We were opening up a new portion of our bowl of winery when, when 9-11 hit and uh, ended up spending two weeks in Italy trying to get most of my team back to the United States. Um, and even in that time, how bad it was, you know, the Italian people are just kind and gentle and appreciative. And, you know, if I had to have been stuck anywhere, right, you know, most people want a desert island or Caribbean island, but I, I pretty much enjoyed being in Italy that whole time. I was going to get, I, would, I knew it was either going to be Italy or Spain because we did that fantastic sherry tasting, you know, uh, God, five, six years ago, a while back, but uh, I knew it was going to be in Europe somewhere for yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm kind of an old world guy, but is, know, is there a particular city in you Italy know, that, that you yeah, really you know, hone in on? Well, it's interesting. My uh, there's there are parts of Italy I still haven't been to. I have not been down south. I haven't been to the Amalfi Coast. But you know, in terms of where I've been, I mean, I really like the Veneto. The diversity of wines there and food are, are incredible. I really like, you know, Tuscany, um, not just because of the Chianti and the Brunellos, but, you know, again, the, the, the history, the culture, the food is, is really incredible. But, you know, the, Italy is still, you know, a very uh, kind of regional country, right? And, and you, when you cross the borders, you know, you do see the difference, right? And, but I think one thing that connects everybody in Italy is, is, are the people. They just, 
you know, really genuine. Great. It's all good. But I really appreciate you guys having me. I want, yeah. you know, I'm been really looking forward to this. And, you know, I wanted to maybe just build on what Fred was saying for a few, for just a couple of seconds here. Um, you know, the, the, the history of MGP, and it was originally Midwest Grain Products, you know, we were founded in 1941 by Cloud Cray Sr. And his granddaughter is, uh, Karen Seberg is our, currently our uh, chairman of the board. But, you know, it was founded actually uh, during the war to distill uh, torpedo propellant. So, um, you know, the, the, the distilling of, of MGP has been, has been very long. And, uh, you know, they built their strength uh, over the years, right, with industrial alcohol, pharmaceutical alcohol, right? So with COVID, you know, we've been pretty, we've had to ramp up our capacity f- at both Lawrenceburg and in Atchison to help, help with the supply chain. But, you know, the, in 2011, uh, the company was able to purchase uh, LDI, the old Seagram's plant, and really start the, what I would call the other half of of, uh, of distilling, right? Move from white goods, you know, to, to whiskeys. And in that time, in those, what, nine years, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of reinvestment and in, in capital and, you know, distilling more and filling more barrels and filling more warehouses. Never stop. Uh, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, and it's been, it's been exciting. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're learning every day. You know, we've got a great team. I mean, the one thing that really is a hallmark of MGP is is our culture. It's very collegial. It's very collaborative. And and when we talk about teams, we really we really mean it. I mean, we we have a team of distillers and we have a team of blenders. And you know, we all work together to produce the best product. And and you know, as you both know, the core our core business is still sourcing, right? And you know, when we were working with customers, the distilling team is there, right? And the blending team is there. And and I think that's what really helps the reputation the image of mgp it's because we we're all we're all pulling in the same direction so we'll touch on that in a minute and get into that you know i kind of want to roll back a little bit because you know italy wines you know you've had a background with you mentioned before we started recording here of you know being in the importing business as well as brown foreman so let's kind of talk about really where you came from and kind of how you got to your position at mgp and and really what what kind of catapulted or, or spearheaded that movement I guess my I guess my beverage alcohol journey uh, started back when I was uh, in college at the University of Virginia. And one of the papers I wrote was Europe on three liters a day. You know, drinking your way through Europe. <laughs> okay, and, uh, we can do that. And uh, for the I'm I'm of a certain age, but uh, back in the old days, uh, the University of Virginia was was known as a you know a party school and. Uh, is that why you chose to go there? Well, a couple reasons, but uh, <laughs> it's maybe the top five. Yeah, but uh, there, there's the old rumor that you know Playboy magazine used to rank the top party schools in the country, and there was always an asterisk at the bottom and says, you know, we didn't include the University of Virginia because we we don't rank professionals. Uh, so, um, nice. but you know, it, it, I was I was actually writing this paper. Uh, it was a it was a combination of, of of history and public policy, and uh, I thought it would be fun because. Back then, you know, they had all these books on, you know, Europe, Europe on $2 a day and things like that. And like, who cares? You know, it's at our age and you're, you know, young 20s, you're, you know, you're thinking about other things. But I've always had this fascination first with wine. I mean, my, my grandparents, you know, being Italian and being from the earth is, you know, as they say. And so I, you know, I studied, I actually started studying wines when I was uh, in high school. My dad used to 
let me drag him down to down to DC and Georgetown. There was an incredible um, wine store, liquor store called Eagle Liquor. It doesn't exist anymore, but the owner was my uh, Boy Scout leader, <laughs> so he would let us sneak into the back and sample some wines and. I really had a lot of fun with it. And uh, Boy Scouts has changed over the years. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did it responsibly, right? But, you know, as I used to say, you got to be prepared for Thanksgiving dinner, right? Yeah, so, there you go. You know, uh, but we uh, keep in mind he is Italian. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. So it's genetic. Yeah. But um, when I, I got, when we were, my wife and I were married, uh, we were married in, in Chicago. And uh, one of the great, one of the hallmarks of my life is it doesn't matter what happens. Every major moment is in a recession. I graduated from high school and college and graduate school in a recession, got married in a recession. Um, but my wife and I were, were actually having uh, brunch one day and I said, you know, I'd, I'd really like to like, I'd like to become a winemaker. And she looked at me and was like, no, that, that, that's not going to happen. Idea. Terrible idea. Yeah. No, we, do, we have a mortgage. You know, we're not, <laughs> we're not picking up. We're not, you know, not moving to California. You know, think of something else. And um I actually got a call from uh, from a friend of a friend that was working at a uh, a newly out of bankrupt uh, brewery called Heilman Brewing. Um, they were headquartered in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And for those who are into beer, back in the '70s, Heilman was this national brewer of regional brands, everything under five bucks a case, right? So Henry Weinhardt's Iron City, Old Style. Uh, they moved their headquarters to Chicago, and I uh, I joined that team, and it was great. We we're able to turn around, you know, old style and do a few other things and have some fun and support the Cubs. And we had a great time. And along that way, uh, I got a call from Brown Foreman. And as they say, the rest is history. I mean, I spent uh, well over a decade there and had the uh, opportunity to work on every single wine brand. And, you know, with not only in Italy, but we did a joint venture in France, a joint venture in Australia. Uh, along the way, you know, the company purchased Sonoma Cotrera and I got to work with Terry Adams, the world famous winemaker there. And we had a great time. Um, and so it really, beverage alcohol has always been in my blood. I mean, I think for me, uh, it has always been sort of the history and the culture that surrounds the product that, that's always been fascinating to me. And, and whiskey is no different, right? I mean, when we, you know, we're sitting here in Louisville, Kentucky, sort of the Mecca, right? The Mecca of whiskeys. And you think about the history and the heritage, not only of the personalities, but sort of why and how, you know, the product came to be, which is, right, an agricultural product and you don't sell all your grain or you can't, you know, you can't store it, it's going to go bad. What do you do with it, right? Well, you, you mash it up, right? Make some whiskey, you make some whiskey, yeah. And so um, four years ago, um, our just recently retired CEO, Gus Griffin, who we're were friends and acquaintances, peers at, at Brown Foreman, reached out to me and said, you know, hey, we're, we've really been thinking hard about building a brand portfolio and, you know, like to talk to you about it. And again, very fortunate that ended up that I joined, uh, I joined MGP at the end of 2016, right at the end of 2016. And so um, it, it really, uh, it's Hold been- on, a, that wasn't a recession year though. <laughs> no, no. That's Hold true. on. That's one, true. That's one major true. life that's event true. that was. Yeah, that's right. You're right, Fred. The one time. <laughs> um, but so, you know, the last, really the last three and a half, four years have been just a real fast paced, you know, activity of, of, you know, building our portfolio. So the first question really is, you know, why, why would MGP do that? Right. And um, you just took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the reality is that, you know, 
MGP is really, really successful in the food ingredients business because of all those grains that we we mill and we we were able to separate the proteins and the starches and the flours and produce product for, you know uh, for the for the food food industry. And of course, you know we're world famous on our sourcing. But one of the things that the board had uh, not noticed, but they were they were realizing and they were seeing that a lot of the brands, craft brands that we had worked you know with the owners on and had helped them develop were exiting for a lot of money, you know, and um, they're like, well, how do we capture more of that value, right? I mean, it's our distillate and we're working hard and, you know, we should think about, you know, entering the the branded space. Let's let's go ahead and give a little bit of kind of a qualifier there. Let, let's talk about some of those brands. <laughs> we're talking High West sold, sold for $140 million, um, you know, basically using Y'all's rye whiskey. We're talking smooth ambler that sold for a mint to Pernod Ricard. You know, so people did build their brands on the backs of MGP's whiskey. That's and so I'm imagining that conversation had to be uh, you know, very unique because you're like, wait a um, minute. Yeah, what, well, like, where, how'd this happen? <laughs> like, where, where's our cut? <laughs> well, I, I think what's what was happening is certainly with the explosion, as we all know, of the cocktail culture. Explosion of craft beer, craft whiskey, you know, there's an opportunity there. And and we needed to, you know, we needed to look at it and and take advantage of the opportunity if it if it made sense for for MGP. And look, you know, the the brands you've mentioned, Fred, I mean, the owners, the, you know, the entrepreneurs who started that were really smart and really good, right? And and the impetus has really been, you know, it's their image and their idea. And yeah, we're we're support we're supporting them with really great juice, and so the the challenge for us was if we've got really, that really good juice, how do we build our own brands? And so, mm-hmm. so what we what we have set out to do is really to leverage our authenticity in our provenance, Lawrenceburg, Atchison, Kansas, to 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 build and to grow a portfolio that we think will be meaningful for today's consumers. I mean. You know, a rising tide does lift all boats, right? As the craft industry grows, but you know, you have to you have to stand on your own merits, and you have to, you know, you have to do it right in order to be successful, not just you know leverage a name. So, what? Go ahead. No, I mean, I, you know, Fred, I kind of want to ask you one question here because you know, when you talked about the you know the high west and the smooth amblers and everybody else that had been gobbled up basically based on their ingredients, I mean, it's the same thing as like. You writing a book, me taking it, putting my name on it, and selling, it, and be like, "Hey, this is this was all me," and you know, maybe written by Fred and some footnotes, right? Yeah. So, what do you think goes into the minds of Pernod Ricard and and other big companies that are that are buying at people based upon MGP quality when they have a distillery that's in the process or you know starting to blend or something like that, but it actually hasn't been proven yet. Right, right. It, it, it's it's kind of like a misnomer and kind of like a, a huge gamble by some of these companies. Yeah, and you would you could argue it doesn't make any sense. Um, but what I have learned in the spirits business, which is very different than the wine business, is that it's built on what the brand. Like they're more uh, the spirits industry is more about creating a, a brand and a bottle that, you know, that, that stands out, uh, you know, more so than, than the liquid. There's no better example of this than Grey Goose, you know, great. And it's vodka. So you're not going to hear me talk positively too much about vodka, but the fact is, is they took some, you know, little known 
um, wasn't selling for anything French vodka and put it in a, in a fancy glass and gave it a backstory and boom, you know, it's the, it's the brand everybody, you know, looked up to. Um, the same with, you know, Tito's, you know, it's a s- similar there, but you look at, you look at the branding of something like, um, high West and at the time of the, of growth, um, you know, when they had sold to, uh, constellation constellation didn't have anything in their portfolio that they could, uh, go in, you know, market in areas that they needed to market to. So like, there's a, there's an entire shelf space of their wine. But when they're having the greater portfolio discussions, Brown Foreman's boxing them out in the spirits area. And so if by having like Constellation, even though the liquid was not necessarily their own, they had a brand that had awards, that had recognition, that had a reputation. And suddenly they're on that shelf and then they add to it and add to it. And so all they're looking for is shelf space and a brand. And at the end of the day, you know, the majority of the consumers don't know anything about the people that they're sourcing the whiskey from, and they don't know about the base quality of it. All they see is that that double gold or that award on the on the bottle, and then boom. So that's what they're basically buying, is they're buying that past uh, earned branding to compete, you know, on the shelf. And you brought up another thing about awards. I guess Andy is, uh, when you see everybody else getting awards for y'all's whiskey, does it does he piss you off too? And you're like, no, oh, man, no, come on. no. It's not about, I mean, look, there's always going to be healthy competition. Um, but, you know, it makes us proud. I mean, if, if, our, if our whiskey is, you know, is gaining, you know, notoriety and, and accolades, I mean, that's great. I mean, you know, again, our core business is still sourcing, right? And so when people like Dave Perkins, who founded High West, mm-hmm. also a University of Virginia graduate, I might Oh, add, really? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you know, you, you, you got to admire it. I mean, Fred is absolutely right that the the really the spirits world is based on brands, and I think I think there are a couple of theories for that. I mean, I spent twenty plus years in the wine industry, right, and it's still an incredibly generic business, right? Mm-hmm. You walk into a bar, you will order, you know, a Jack or a George Remus or a Grey Goose. You go into a bar or restaurant, you don't you order what's your house white, what's your house red, and it is, I mean those are chasms apart and mm-hmm. and you know i love the wine business but it's really hard you know it's for people to think about they think of pinot grigio as a brand right it happens to be a grape but i think you know i think what what was a great motivator for us was the fact that you know the you know the lincoln hendersons and the dave perkins of the world and the smooth amblers of the world were having great success and so it, it gave us confidence to say you know maybe we can do this as well i mean it kind of makes sense, right? When when Toyota, you know, has been really successful, you know, with you know their Corolla, um, maybe they should dip their toe in the water and compete with BMW and Audi with a, with a Lexus, right? And that that was our mission: is not to not to um, replicate our customers, but to find the white space uh, and the stories and and fulfill the needs of whiskey and, and beverage, alcohol consumers, spirits consumers that may not be met. And, and so our mission really was to, to leverage our distilling capabilities as well as our blending expertise and put those against the brands that we were going to build. I remember when you guys uh, came out with your brands, you had acquired uh, George Remus uh, from the Cincinnati Entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I remember 
you know, and don't take this the wrong way, but I remember feeling like it was a huge miss. Like the when you guys came out of the gate, because I did, I because your liquid is so good, I felt like the, you know, coming out of the gate, you all, I felt like didn't take advantage of the of of the market as well as you could have. And you've, you've definitely caught, it's definitely caught up, but I remember looking at, looking at it and no, in the retail world, be like, okay, what do we do with this? Like there was not a, a grand acceptance in the retail space and the on, on the on-premise space of you all coming to the market. If anything, I saw confusion from people. Has, has that changed? Are you seeing more acceptance now than when, when it first, when you all first started in, in the market? You know, that's a great question, Fred. And let me maybe peel back a few things. You know, I think the, I, I think certainly today, sort of three years after we, we purchased and, and relaunched Remus, there's been a lot of change, right? I mean, our, our depletion growth every year is in, you know, the high double digits. And, you know, the, the thing that's important though, is that we, we took a very deliberate, in fact, what we call a narrow and deep approach. I mean, even today, after three years, we're only in 16 markets. Okay. So we're not national and, and, and our mission. And that's, and that's by design. By, by design. Okay. Right. So, so while we're, you know, while we're distilling for the world, right. You know, we also weren't arrogant enough to assume that we can just say, Hey, we're MGP and, and just, you know, spread ourselves out and, and have success. So we've really been focused on learning as we go, uh, learning from our mistakes, learning from our successes and applying those to our, to our successive and our future markets. Um, I think, you know, I think a couple of things, um, I, I think it takes a little bit of time to get traction, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's rare that any brand, you know, you flip the switch and it's an overnight success. And so we've been, you know, we've been pushing the rock uphill a little bit, but I think with, you know, when we, when we purchased Remus from Queen City, you know, they were great young entrepreneurs, couldn't necessarily afford, you know, the aged, uh, bourbons, um, mm -hmm. like they wanted to. So, you know, we were able to immediately, uh, improve the liquid, right? We moved to six and a half year, seven year uh, liquid. We were able to blend our 21 and 36% bourbon there. And then really in the same year when we launched, we were able to, to, to release our series one of repeal reserve, which were our aged, you know, which is really designed to be a true blending uh, exercise, right? A palate challenger. And, mm -hmm. and we only use our oldest, our oldest reserves for that. And you know, and it took a little bit for for the for the trade and distributors to sort of pick up and continue along. I mean, we we get questions all the time. It's like, well, I know it's your brand, but I know you're MGP, but what's you know what's your brand? Or I know it's your brand, but did you buy from MGP? And we we do need to continue to tell people that we are MGP, and these are our brands, and we do we do distill, you know, for other for other brands for other brands as well, but. You know, it's fun to be out there competing. I mean, I think we're, you know, our distributors certainly are seeing it. And what what's interesting is that as we continue to to grow and gain traction, people are coming to us. I mean, we're, we're every week I get calls like, "Hey, when are you coming to this state?" Or, "Hey, I'm, you know, I, I'm this, you know, I, I'm this retailer in this market. You know, I'd love to buy your buy your brands. How do we get there?" So, it, it's um, every, you know, last point I'll make is you know and. We've all been in this industry a long time. Although, you know, Jack Daniels is what, 150, 170 years old, you know, even Mr. Jack probably had to start by pushing a, pushing a few 
uh, barrels, you know, early in the years. Sure. And it just it just takes it just takes time for us. But we're you know we're patient. Um, we're not looking to exit this business at any time. It's a permanent piece of of the MGP platform. So a question that I kind of want to go with is when you were looking at even building the brands, I'm sure when you got that phone call and says like, hey, come and help us to try to figure out a portfolio. What was the idea of let's go acquire something versus let's build something from the ground up? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. What was the idea of let's go acquire something versus let's build something from the ground up? So... When we look at the world of spirits, all right, and try to figure out, you know, our approach, one of the first strategies, I actually stated this to the board and to investors, is that we are going to compete in every category in which we distill. So that's, that's vodka. Sorry, Fred. It's, <laughs> it's gin. Hey, there's, there's money to be made. You got to yeah. do it. I mean, we're, we're the largest domestic gin distiller. I mean, so we got to be in gin. We absolutely were going to be in in bourbon. It's you know twenty three million case category, and we're kind of known for rye, right? We're one of the largest rye distillers, also, and so we were going to be in rye as well. So those have been sort of the four categories in which we have, which we have targeted, and as opposed to just sort of like you know just sort of you know shotgunning everything out there, we've really taken a lot of time to do a lot of research, to talk to consumers, to talk to the trade, and one of the things we 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 fell into pretty early is that. When you're talking to consumers and when you're looking at where the opportunities are, you know, there's kind of buy versus build going on. And I think to, to Fred, to your comment about the purchase of George Remus, that was one where it was a great concept. I mean, it was a really good story behind it. And George Remus happened to steal from actually the Seagram, you know, back then it was the Rossville distillery, but, mm-hmm. you know, 
he stole barrels uh, from from our very own from our very own warehouses. He was headquartered in Cincinnati, which is you know right near you know twenty miles east of of Lawrenceburg. So we we, we felt that there was a an opportunity there, right? So we could take that kind of like get back so, at him a little bit. Well, we could take that story, right? And we could we could make it make it bigger. We could we could build a brand around that, and and we've had some fun with it. And you know we you know with the main line at 94, the fourth now fourth release uh, coming in August of Repeal Reserve, the bottled and bond 14 year old Volstead that we were able to to release last year. Now all of this sort of surrounds the the whole prohibition um, and the Art Deco era, and we think that there's a lot of stories and a lot of there's a lot of traction there, a lot of road we can we can hoe around that. Um, you know, when it came to Till Vodka, you know that was our really our first our first foray and. Atchison is a you know huge distiller of, of of our white goods. You know the story of Till is very simple: is the the on the grounds where our distillery is in Atchison, Kansas. It was a it was a hardware store back in the 1800s. Farmers used to buy their their plows and their and their till and their seeds from from that uh, from that location. So we we wanted to uh, we wanted to honor that. We got a lot of questions, um, you know, in late 2017 about well, you know, why did you Why'd you launch with a bourbon? You're a rye, you know. You're a rye distiller. Why don't you? We need that ninety-five-five, right? Everybody yeah, loves. Yeah. Why didn't you do that? And 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 the answer is because we really wanted to do it right. We were really researching and thinking about, you know, what what makes the best the best rye. I know we distill the best rye, but what would be an MGP rye? And so we went back to our roots. Rossville is the original name of the distillery, founded in 1847. Uh, we know that for over 211 years, people have been distilling rye on our property, mainly because of the Miami Aquifer, which sits on mm-hmm. uh, we sit on top of, and you know that 50, 52 degree water, pure as anything, you know, the, helps when you don't have, you know, stainless steel, you know, coils and you know refrigerated, you know, jacketed. Jacketed tank. You have one other thing that adds to your terroir, and that's the the puffs of smoke coming from that casino right down there. Absolutely, <laughs> that's aging. That's right. That's right. Oh my god! Just, just you know, if you don't like the oak, just try the smoke. Right? Yeah. So, so that's a good line right there. Yeah. Um, but so we we worked really hard on on Rossville, and and we listened, and and we listened, and you know the thing is. You notice that you know the, when we when we came out with uh, Remus, it was just one skew, and then we added a second. The trade was telling us, "Look, you guys know what you're doing with with rye. You know, challenge the palate." And so that's why we came out with Mastercraft at at ninety four, and we came out with the with the cast rank with the barrel proof, right? Uh, about one twelve, one twelve point six. Now you're tugging at the heartstrings of the listeners. Yeah, and and you know both of those, by the way. We use a combination of our 95 and our 51 rise, but they're different. And so we're not just taking the standard barrel and slamming them together. We're literally picking barrels for Mastercraft and picking barrels for Barrel Proof and then blending it. Again, go back to our mission, right? The, our distilling capabilities and our blending expertise. And then tell the story, right? Tell the story of George Ross. Tell the story of the Miami Aquifer and let people you know, judge for themselves. I'll say this about your rye. Uh, I don't believe there's ever been a distillery that, you know, set the standard of a palate, you know, for, for a particular product like you all did from, you know, 2007 to 2014. If you think about this, 
Kentucky distillers were not making rye, but maybe one day a month. Most of them were, you know, two or three times a year. And the fact is when all those people were coming in and acquiring your stocks and slapping their backstories and their labels on and talking about how their grandpappy's rep recipe happens to be the exact same as MGP's. Um, oh, well, <laughs> what a coincidence. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> amazing coincidence. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody was grabbing um, that rye and, and, and that rye became what people thought rye was supposed to taste like. And people from Pennsylvania and Kentucky and Maryland and Canada were like, well, actually, no, we have our own style and we have our own style. So your distillery gave birth to the new age of, of rye. And that is, that is an amazing story. The unfortunate part is, is that everyone's always like, well, it's sourced, it's sourced. And then of course, Templeton doesn't put their uh, state of distillation on there and they get sued and it leads to a whole bunch of other things. But the real beauty of this story is that you all created the rye movement with, with the liquid. Other people branded it and sold it. But I, I think that gets really lost in the, in the conversation of, of, of Rye's return is how you all define the category. Well, thank you for that compliment. I appreciate that. You know, one of the things that just, I know there's always the back and forth about, you know, how pejorative sourcing, you know, the word and term sourcing is. But, you know, here in Kentucky... It's known by another name, right? It's known as trading. It's known as borrowing, right? I know. <laughs> if, if people only knew how much, uh, you know, something like, you know, barrels of brown foreman are actually in, you know, at another distillery. If people only knew, and I've talked about it, but, and this is why, like, in, God, I'm going on another dadgum tangent here, but. Here we go. Bring it back. This Brace is, yourself. <laughs> but, you, you know, you come from wine. You know, I have a, a strong background in wine. You know, sommeliers, they, they can tell you what hill every single vine is on because that information is public. There's no dadgum transparency about the transfer of barrels. You know, you have all these great Willet picks, you know, and they're just like, are you like, where is it from? It's, it's a Kentucky bourbon. Okay, cool. But what distillery? It's, it's a Kentucky bourbon. And Kenny, you're facing this now as you're, you're now a merchant bottler. You know, you're, you're coming across these, um, NDAs all the time where you can't say where something's from. You want to be transparent as you can, but sometimes the, they yeah. just don't let you. I don't know. Well, you know, we're going to be as transparent. Uh, you know, we're always going to be transparent, you know, and I hope and so. We're, and we're bound, but we're bound by NDAs as well, you know, I mean, from, from a sourcing standpoint. But, you know, Fred, just to finish on the sourcing thing, you know, the thing that, that sort of always makes me laugh is, you know, people who buy wine are buying sourced and blended all oh, the yeah. time, right? What, From the co-ops. Negociant, right? Yeah. What is a negociant? He buys barrels of wine and he makes it the way he thinks people, you know, want it want it to taste. So, Very accepted in the wine world too, by the way. Absolutely. So, you know. Cherished even. And it's been going on. This is in, in spirits and whiskey. It's been going on forever. And I think we need to get over ourselves a little bit, right? And accept the fact that if you, you like a, a flavor, a taste, a style, or a grain, there's something out there for you. Well, I, to, you know, I don't, to, to the point of like, um, you know, the fact is, is that whiskey now has an audience that just cares. And, you know, if I were you I, or the company, I wouldn't look at, you know, you know, when you see these threads coming up on Reddit, take it as a compliment as like, you know what, these people care enough to, you know, to bitch about us, you know? So that's, that's, that's how I take it anyway. No, I, 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 I 
you're absolutely right. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, um, and it's 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 a uh, it's relevant and it's contemporary. So, under great suggestion from the trade and from consumers, we initiated our very first single barrel program, and um, we'll be releasing in August and September uh, barrels, uh, single barrels of George Remus at Cast Strength, and single barrels of Rossville Union at uh, uh, at Bottled and Bond. And so we're we're basically deconstructing, right? Where mm-hmm. you can you know you can take twenty one percent, you can take thirty six percent, you can take fifty one percent. We didn't do ninety five this year, but we did. We have th- three variations of fifty one percent rye that the trade could could taste through. And uh, when, when we when we launched this, it was going to be a short window. And the one time we've had really great luck is we we literally ended the program about four minutes before COVID hit. I mean, it was just the day that we ended the the uh, the sales. Uh, the next day, you know, everybody was shutting down. But I I, I got a couple couple calls from my guys and out, out out in other markets, and they're like, Andy, we got a small problem. And I'm like, What's going on? They go, Well, we got some people out there who are selling their barrels. And they're claiming it's MGP as well. So, you know, you got MGP brands selling MGP barrels and you got other people calling, you know, and saying, well, these are MGP barrels. Um, and it, you know, it creates a little bit of confusion. Like Boone County. Like I picked a Boone County MGP barrel before. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Maybe, you know, but, but, you know, we, you know, we're continuing to, to push and build the MGP brands name. And as, you know, we we know and we're thankful that the MGP name opens all doors, and and we're lo- we're grateful for that. But we need it's, to- it's amazing when you think about it because in 2013 it sure in the hell shut them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now it's yeah, like yeah. Uh, it's yeah. it's good. But you know we we still I mean on the brand side we still have to earn our keep right. We still have to prove that the the brands will sell right. They'll pull off the shelf, and you know the distributors still expect us to have some velocity and. You know, so it you know the name only goes so far, but I think you know with 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 our pedigree and and with our heritage, you know we've got we've got I think we've got the wind at our back, and you know we'll be able to continue to scale the business. I I, I know you got a some I know you've got your rapid fire questions coming in yet. Always got them; they're, they're in the back of my they're, mind. They're, I know you got them. Uh, but what happened? So you guys are so heavily reliant upon sourcing. Uh, you've seen an increased competition from uh, Bardstown Bourbon Company. Now you've got Brown Foreman. Uh, who has gotten rid of one of their brands to probably open up some of their contract distillation. Uh, a lot of competition out there. I mean, what happens when your biggest customer, you know, if, you know, they pull away, you know, what do you guys do if you guys lose some of that, lose some of those, you know, I guess, really good contract distillation programs? Well, so, sounds like room for more labels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, more barrel picks. Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. But you know, uh, my 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 good friend and colleague David Dykstra is the one yeah, who leads David, the sort of, yeah. 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 And you know, David and his team are you know are really good at what they do. And you know, we they have they have been able to be broad and deep, you know, in this industry, right? Not just multinationals, but you know, good size. Mm-hmm. Uh, share of the craft industry, and you know we've we evolve as the industry evolves, right? We used to have high minimums, now we have low minimums, now we offer totes. I mean, we're we're trying to be a provider of answers, not just a provider of juice, right? So you know we're we we welcome the competition. I mean, it you know, again, rising tide lifts all boats, and I think this is gonna 
you know, certainly uh, back to the other comment about sourcing, if everyone's doing it, then it's okay, right? And I think it's gonna it's going to democratize mm-hmm. um, the use of barrels and, and and whiskey, and I think it's going to put the pressure on brands to perform right, higher quality, uh, more transparency, you know, and also help educate consumers on, on 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 what on what the product is. But you know, again, I think I think this is you know this is a very old um, and a continuously growing you know industry and category, and I think that you know we're we're ready you know we're ready for the next challenge. What's the money warehouse? Because you guys, <laughs> you you guys have uh, you guys have some amazing, you know, aluminum skin warehouses, and you got the old rock warehouses. What's what? That's what everybody wants to know right now. What's the money warehouse? And are yeah. you are you taking those those money warehouses, those money barrels for your own brands? Um, I I sort of have to compete with the distilling team just just as much as everybody else, right? But we're you know we're blessed that we were able to secure and keep you know keep some of the best and some of the oldest for the brands. But you know, it's it's interesting. Um, we do a lot of research on the condition of our barrels and the condition of our warehouses. And you know, I think the first thing is that we are we do benefit in Lawrenceburg from where we are mm-hmm. versus, I would say, someone who is south of Lawrenceburg, you know, in the 502 area code or something. Oh, you know? he's dropping it now. He's bringing it. <laughs> no, but, eat. you know, but think about it. I mean, you think about we're on the banks of the Ohio River, right? We are in a much more humid climate. And it just so happens that, you know, our warehouses are brick and pretty thick and we're separated by concrete floors. So immediately, right, versus your traditional rick house, which is vertical, Right, walk in on the first floor and look up a hundred, you know, fifty feet, and you can see eight or eight or nine levels. You walk into one of our warehouses, and you're seeing a floor, which is its own warehouse, its own rick house. It's only six six barrels high, and so each, you know, each one of these are floors of our warehouse are their own their own aging chamber, and because of brick and because of the humidity, you know, it takes longer for it to get hot in the summer and longer for it to get cold in the winter. And so the humidity and uh, the construction really provides a moderating force. And we think that, that it mellows out our, our whiskeys just a little bit better. So when Bourbon Pursuit comes to do a barrel pick, which warehouse are we going to? <laughs> <laughs> Is that just, wrong? Yeah, you just keep, just keep poking it. He'll, 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 I love it. He'll, he'll shout out a letter at some point. Yeah. You know, okay, so I'll tell you, let's go back to the, let's go back to the, barrel, the barrel pick program for this year. We must have pulled the team, the, the blending team must have pulled, I don't know, let's call it 500 barrels. And we, you know, we tasted through and tested all of them. You'd be surprised, even with the age, you know, we were selling between four and six year old barrels. We didn't tell about it, but by the way, we didn't tell anyone what the age was. It was all about taste. We would tell them what the, what the mash bill was. And it was up to, you know, up to the, to the buyers to make, make their own decisions. But um, we, we had a pretty tight band on on proof, you know. I mean, it's it wasn't it, it, it you know it wasn't going from you know one nineteen to one seventy five or one thirty five. I mean, we were you know our entry proof happens to be uh, one twenty on everything, but we were you know we were in we were pretty tight band on on the proofing. So you know, again, I think that helps support the the mellow you know and the and the and the humidity and and all of that. Uh, and helps us, I think, you know, with with the aging the aging process. 
so one thing you kind of triggered me there, we're talking about like going out and figuring out like the 500 barrels to go at your mark. What's it look like forecasting, knowing that you've got salespeople out there that are like, okay, we, you know, we've got inventory, like start, start selling. And then you've got to come in and be like, hold on. No, I need X amount for X amount of years. And so make sure that we aren't selling every single bit of our stocks. We, we actually, every month we review our inventories, our input and our output. And what, 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 what David and his team do is some, well, they, they have one exercise and I and my team uh, have, have the same exercise and we're looking at uh, forecasting all the time. And we're also, you know, combining that with, we're basically looking to our cloudy crystal ball and saying in 10 years, you know, we're going to need this, this, this many cases of 12 or 14 year old versus this many cases of seven or eight year old. And, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, it's a real complex, you know, how, you know, math that we're, we're trying to run to try to figure out what the right thing is. But, you know, we also have our customers and when they're pulling and when they're adding and then new customers and, it's kind of fun. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> our, <laughs> sounds like a crazy Excel spreadsheet to me. It is. It's pretty crazy, but you know, it's, 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 it's what we do you know? And of course, then you have to measure, you have to layer in, you know, at any point, you know, what mash bill are we distilling? What our customers want? So it makes for a lot of fun, which is why the team approach is so important, right? Um, you know, Mike Templin, who, who's our general manager and a master distiller in Lawrenceburg, you know, his entire team are constantly working with the barrel house team and working with us and working with customer service and working with Dykstra's team to make sure that, you know, we're kind of within that band of getting, getting it right. And so as we start kind of wrapping up here in the podcast, I kind of want you to give you a, a moment to kind of like plug, you know, the brands and everything that you are building uh, as well as releases and everything like that on the horizon. Sure. I mean, just be commercially crass, right? Just sure. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, here's, well, your, here's your two minute pitch. Okay. So, so let me finish off the compete where we distill in March, uh, again, about two hours before COVID. We, we just completed the purchase of new Columbia distillers in Washington, DC on their brand is Green Hat Gin. Uh, we are, and you pick up the rye too, right? You got the rye. <laughs> yeah, you got the rye. <laughs> yeah. it's, yes, because you, in your press release, I was, and the, you don't need to know all the inner workings of my brain, but I remember getting that press release. They didn't mention the rye. What did you uh, mention the rye? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so you're familiar with Green Hat, then? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. They're and Michael Lowe and John Osselton are, are are great people. In fact, John uh, joined us. He's he's now our our regional director, sales director in D.C. and Maryland. Um, we, we are, uh, we're launching Green Hat actually this summer in Kansas, uh, because it's our home market and we always do that, but, uh, come early 21, we'll be launching in all of our other markets with Green Hat. Um, the other thing to, to, to let everybody know is that, um, we are releasing the, uh, Repeal Reserve Series 4. Um, we're really excited about this. It's, um, it's, uh, it's really two mash bills. Both of them are 12 years old. We're primarily, it's about... Uh, don't get me wrong. I can't remember that. We always put the the mash bill blend on the front label, but I think it's Which about- I always admired, by the way. Thank you. I always, I always, I yeah. saw that. I saw that. Remember I, I, the first Remus bottle that I got and, you know, it literally lists all the MGP mash bills right there. Yeah. And the, I think even, even part of the percentage of the blend yeah. that's in there too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it's, I think it's like 76%. They're both uh, 2008. So it's, I think 75, 76% is 21 and the rest is 36%. But yeah, we that was conscious when we did it because we wanted we didn't want that that shroud of secrecy. We wanted to let people know this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. 
because every series release is really about the palette, right? We want, we want you, you know, in a good way to challenge the palette. Do you like it? Do you not? I mean, a quick, another quick story. Our very first release was 94 proof. And that was the biggest criticism we received. It was like, guys, if you're going to, you know, do a special release, make it at least 100 proof. And people were right. So, you know, now it's 100 proof. And Listen to the, listen to the buyer. You know, that's all right. That's what we got to do. We, you know, we're really excited about the barrels. Um, we're, you know, we've got the Rossville Union barrels coming in September. We got the George Remus barrels coming in August. Um, we're going to do the program again in January. So if you guys are interested, let me know. And Oh, well, yeah, the the, um, the Bourbon Pursuit barrel picks in September. In what warehouse again? <laughs> <laughs> I can't I forgot. Kidding. <laughs> I'm gonna be there when you guys are when you guys come up. So it'll, it'll all be good. It'll all be good. We'll make it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this will be the Patreon community. This will be the first barrel pick I come to. There you go. So good. All right. Looking That's forward all. to that one. Now. Yeah. Excited about this one. I think it was Warehouse Q. Was it Q? <laughs> <laughs> or it could be G. Whatever you want. I think it was Q. <laughs> we'll 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 let him know. We'll let everybody else know when it's off the air, and he lets us. Yeah. Really fills us in there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get I get lost on campus. I mean, I, I follow the I stay in the yellow lines. I mean, you know, I do what I'm told, and you know, but it's pretty it's pretty pretty cool when you can just look up and at history and see all those. Yeah, I mean, gorgeous. having having been there and um, you know, gotten to roam around with my camera back in the day uh, before you all had rules. Uh, I actually was the uh, for safety, damn rules. for safety. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> but um it was it, it was really cool it, it's kind of like um i, I kind of um I, I like an mgp a little bit to buffalo trace in terms of like its old timiness like they have a lot of old equipment there it, it's really beautiful it really is it's a good time well you're welcome anytime you want hey no. listen you can put a cot in your warehouse queue i can stay the night just give me a whiskey thief <laughs> little a little airbnb maybe we're, you know we're good hey, a little side side hustle it's yeah, good. i mean uh, there's a lot of people that are doing it now why not sure. I, I don't want the light whiskey warehouse though i want the, uh, what the bourbon. <laughs> it's all good show me the 95 five yeah it's all good well yeah. andy i want to say thank you again for coming on the show today it was a pleasure again knowing more about you the products that you're building, kind of the strategy behind it as well, because I think that's one thing that even, you know, Fred hinted at the earlier is, is kind of like, you know, the old why, you know, you, you, you acquire a brand, you build it and you got to start trying to see this baby starting to grow and start getting legs and starting to walk now. Yeah, it's fun. So Andy, again, thank you again for, for doing that. Give you a chance to plug. Um, if there's any way that people actually want to get in contact with you or know any more about MGP, just go to the website yeah, and try go, to find you there. Go to the website. Um, you can go to, you know, andy.mancini at mgpingredients.com. And that's a mouthful, but just go to the go to the MGP website. Are you on Twitter, in. Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> yeah. LinkedIn? Our brands are. Our brands You're are not? all over. Me, I, I do a little bit of that, yeah. I've got younger, younger oh. daughters who are, you know. Do you know, have like an anonymous handle or something? No, 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 I don't. I'm, you know, I'm Andy Mancini, you know, on Facebook and on Instagram and, but it's all good. But guys, I got, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. To me. It's been really a pleasure. I love, I, I watch you guys. I mean, I'm, you're, I subscribe to you guys on, on, uh, on YouTube and I think what you're doing are great and your magazine's really, really good, Fred. Oh, so thanks, man. Kudos to that. So. Well, we always appreciate it. Always good to have a great new personality on here to kind of spread the good love of MGP. Yeah, I, I have a feeling it won't it won't be the last time, um, especially uh, you know now that we know we have you know someone who's willing to throw a little dirt in there for us every now and then. Mm -hmm. Love it. Well, cheers, everybody! Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you all next week. Mm -hmm.